Welcome to a special Tuesday edition of the Monday Mailbag. A couple of Monday games, back-to-back weeks, prevented me from doing the show. Both on the road, one in another time zone, you know. So uh, we'll get to it today. We'll get you caught up. I will take your questions about the Blue Jackets, uh, see what's on your mind, answer those questions for you. Some of you have already sent me your questions on X at Bobby Max Sports. If you are on X Spaces with me right now, you can ask your question live. Just request to be a speaker, and I'll bring you on, and we can talk about whatever it is that you would like to talk about. What an interesting game for the Blue Jackets last night in Florida against the Panthers. Panthers coming out like gangbusters. They had lost their previous game to the Chicago Blackhawks. They were obviously butthurt about it because they came out just flying. And they were all over the Blue Jackets. I mean, in a span of about four minutes, they scored three goals, chased Elvis Merzlikens, and it looked like it was going to be a long night in South Florida. But the Blue Jackets did have other ideas and other plans, and they got themselves straightened out. And the line that really got it going was the line of Sean Corrali, Matthew Olivier, and Justin Danforth. Not much of a surprise, quite frankly, because when you're in a game like that, you're getting barnstormed by a team. You need somebody, or a group of somebodies in this case, that are going to come out and just play the game that you're supposed to play, straight-ahead hockey, Just get it to be very simple and do your job. That's what those guys do. They do that every time they go out on the ice. So they, to me, they were the real turning point. And they get the first goal of the game. And I thought that was huge for Sean Corrali to get that goal. Because going out there and putting the work in, that's great. That's the old lead by example thing. Hey, play like we're playing. See, it's starting to work now. Now we're starting to get a little bit physical. Okay, now they're backing off a little bit. Now we're not letting them sit in our zone for 45 seconds at a time. This is how you do it. That's all great and fine. But then to get a goal on top of it, to me it does two things. Number one, it rewards those players for the hard work that they're putting in. And the other thing that it does is it shows everybody else If you do this work, then we can score. And then they come out and they get another one. And Boone Jenner's line was the next line. And I thought thought they were the second best line, and we can have discussions about, you know, where everybody on that line is and how they're playing. And I'm sure we will have discussions about it. But, uh, you know, Jenner gets the goal. All of a sudden, it's 3-2. to Now, if you thought it was going to be 3-2, to At the end of the first period, raise your hand. I see no hands. Why would you think that? Why would you think that the way that the Florida Panthers started that game? But the Blue Jackets battled back. They found their game, and they made it a one-goal game by the end of the first period. Then in the second period, they're able to get a power play goal, and all of a sudden, it's 3-3. But then, even better, they go up 4-3. And now there's a new challenge. This challenge is close it out. Can you close it out? And they were all so close to closing it out. And the the play that stands out, obviously, is the Ivan Provorov play where he's trying to flip the puck out of the zone and he turns it over and Nick Cousins scores with under a minute to go to tie the game and send it to overtime, okay? But to me, it wasn't just that play. It was There was an earlier play when Matthew Olivier, he gets up the wall in front of the Florida bench, 
and couldn't get the puck deep into the zone. It was turned over right there, and then Florida came back into the zone. And and then the, the scramble started. It was Spencer Martin, who I thought was outstanding in the game, absolutely outstanding, coming off the bench cold and really doing a great job. But then in that last scramble, there were rebounds. And I'm, I'm not saying they're all his fault by any means, but you just I, I found myself on the bus going to the airport saying, man, if they could have just cleared one more puck beyond the blue line or if Spencer could have just dove on one puck and froze it for a faceoff, might the result have been different in that game? It might have been, but it wasn't. Florida ties the game, and then you get to the three-on-three overtime, and they get another nice bounce right off of Spencer Martin that goes to Carter Verhage. And if you've paid any attention to the Blue Jackets versus the Florida Panthers in the last two years, you have a pretty good idea that at some point Carter Verhage is going to score a goal, and he did. And that's how the game ended. So it was, um, you know, it's almost like a tale of two cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. But it was frustrating. And I think it's one of those games that you come away from it it's, it's easy to say in the first period when you're down three to nothing, boy, if we could get to overtime somehow and get a point out of this, then it would be an okay, feel okay about yourself going home thing. But the way that it, the way it went where you had the lead and then the lead got away and then you lose it in overtime, this really felt like that was a game that the Blue Jackets had to find a way to, to win to get two points, even if they did it in overtime and they gave one point back to Florida, that's fine. I'm not talking about the Florida Panthers and what they need. I don't care what they need. I don't care what they want. But for the Blue Jackets, they need those points and they need that confidence. And to me, it would have went a long way toward making this team better more quickly if they could have found a way to close the door yesterday. But they didn't. So it's the old uh, no crying over spilled milk, right? I mean, what are you going to do? So they move on. They have to settle for the point and uh, move on and get ready to take on the Dallas Stars on Thursday here at Nationwide Arena. Uh, the Blue Jackets got the day off today. They were supposed to practice today. Look, it's, you know, for, I know with human nature is sometimes you'll be like, well, they just had the day off Sunday. Now you're going to give them the day off on Tuesday. Well, yeah, because you get home at 1.30 in the morning and look, your team's still beaten up. I I don't care if you had a day off Sunday. You didn't have your day off at home. You had your day off on a road. It's completely different. Completely because you're not around your family. If you have a family, you're not sleeping in your own bed. You're you're not you know you're not getting a home cooked meal and all that stuff. So, anyway, look, they take the day off today. They're going to sit and they're going to stew on that one point instead of two last night, and they're going to go back to work tomorrow and uh, be ready to play against Dallas on Thursday. And again, this schedule is not forgiving whatsoever. I mean. You're at home against Dallas. You go to Detroit for a Saturday afternoon game, then right into New York for a game on Sunday. So, um, you know, you got you got to be ready to play, and uh, they'll they'll be ready to play for sure. All right, let me get to your questions, and I'll start with the ones that uh, have been sent to me on X. And right out of the gate, Union and Blue says, "What is going on with Johnny Gaudreau?" Well, isn't that the hundred thousand dollar question right now? And I don't know. I don't know what's going on with Johnny. He does not look like Johnny, does he? Absolutely not. I mean, he's got only one goal. It was an empty net goal. Uh, the game on Saturday, he got put on the bench in the third period. Didn't play, what, he didn't play two minutes in that third period, right? I know the total ice time that he had in that game on Saturday was the fourth lowest uh, 
time on ice he's had in his career, which tells you something. And, um, you know, he came back last night and, you know, again, it was it, it, not the Johnny that we saw more times than not last year. And I don't know what's going on with him. I don't know uh, why he's struggling right now, but he is. And he's a pro, and he's going to have to work his way through it. Pascal Vincent said yesterday morning, when it comes to turnovers, Johnny Gaudreau is one of those guys that is going to touch the puck more than most everybody else. And if you're going to have the puck a lot, you're going to turn the puck over a lot. I get it. I understand that. Um, but I think, you know, he's he's been really pushing, trying to maybe make something happen instead of letting something happen. Those kind of things. So um, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with him. But obviously we all know it would be great if he would go back to just being the player that uh, not only he was last year in his first year here, but just the way he's always been. But everybody has gets into a funk at some point. He happens to be going through one right now. Uh, my next question. Let's just stay on that. Uh, let's stay on this kind of theme. I guess is the word. Um, I I don't even know how to say this. This account. Anyway, here's the question. It says. How are we feeling about Zach Wierenski? He doesn't look up to par yet, coming off a whole year injured and a new defensive system. Is that likely a reason? It seems some recent criticism on social media, so I was wondering what your opinion is. Uh, first of all, the defensive system, I don't think that's an issue at all. I mean, they made some changes from last year, but I think the changes that they made were for the better, not for the worse by any means. Uh, it's not that. I think Zach at times looks hesitant. And when I think about that, and I wonder why, I think about this. Zach Waranski is a great player. And Zach is a guy that early in his NHL career, we used to talk about how he seems as though he never gets hit. It seems as though he is able to avoid big hits. And that was the case. And then he had some things happen to him. I mean, his shoulder has been injured twice. He just had major surgery on that shoulder last year. Also, don't forget about that puck that came off the stick and blasted him in the face and messed him up. So those things are pretty significant. And then this year, after missing essentially all of last year with that shoulder injury and having that surgery, you come back and in the very first game this year, what happens to you? You get run by Garnett Hathaway and you get injured again. So I don't know what goes through Zach's mind. I'm not saying that he's scared by any means, but what I am saying to you is when things like that happen, there is the possibility that things are in the back of your mind. Maybe sometimes you don't even know it's in the back of your mind. Like it's there and it's subconscious and you know it, and it's affecting you, or I should say, it's there and you don't know it. It's like affecting what you're doing, but you're, not even realizing it at the time. So from that standpoint, I understand. I really do. I understand. But Zach Wierenski is a better player. We've seen him be a much better player. I think you're going to see him be a better player again. I just think he's been hesitant for whatever reason. And maybe it's the, maybe it's the stuff I talked about. Maybe it's something else. But he is, uh, look, he's still an elite player, and he's still a very, very important player for this team. It's nothing to do with a defensive system. 
Um, he just, uh, I, I think when he can just let himself go again and just be him and shoot the puck. You know, I was thinking about this last night. Remember in his first year, everything he shot from the blue line got to the net. Everything. Because we used to, uh, Jody and I used to do the inside edge and talk about how does he do it? How does he get every puck to the net? And was it luck? I don't think it was, but it's not happening now like it was then. Is that bad luck? I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it's, well, in the first year, I guess um, it takes a while for teams to figure out what you do well, and then they can shut it down. So that I'm sure that has a lot to do with it now that I think about it. But, um, look, he is. Uh, we haven't seen the best version of Zach yet this year. I think that's fair to say. But uh, I don't think that... I just don't think it's going to gonna last with him. I, I think we are going to see the best of him again. Kyle Davenport says, do you think that Spencer Martin has retained a spot on this roster once Daniil Tarasov is back? Then he says, I'm a youth goalie coach back in your hometown, and I see a lot of positives. I know his lateral movements aren't super quick, but he is consistent, and Tarasov can't stay healthy. Well, that is the, the huge knock on Daniil Tarasov, right? I've talked about that. I talked about it before the season. I said the only thing he has to do if he wants to be the starting goalie here is stay healthy and play well because there's, you know, an opportunity perhaps um, if you are healthy to do that or maybe you get a more of a 60-40 split or whatever it is. And he just he hasn't been healthy yet. We haven't seen him yet. Now he is skating. And uh, what does happen when he comes back? That's a very interesting question. I know the Blue Jackets like what Spencer Martin is doing. There's no doubt about that. I think the first thing that happens is Tarasov will go through a conditioning stint in the American Hockey League. I think they will drag that out as long as they possibly can because they'll be buying time. I think if Spencer Martin goes on waivers, that there's a good chance that somebody's going to take him. There are teams with goaltending problems in the league, and uh, they're looking for answers. And maybe somebody thinks he can be an answer, just like the Blue Jackets felt that he could be an answer with the Tarasov injury, and they were right. So, and he's playing really well. Like, what he's doing right now is is really good. And it really um, kind of, it really uh, enhances his resume, I guess I'll say. So, he's done a good job. He, he, because of his play, you have to have this discussion. But the other option is, do you keep three goalies on your roster? And that is just a, a situation that doesn't really work. It just doesn't. Because there are two nets in three goalies. And every practice, somebody is going to get less time than somebody else. Or maybe all three are going to get less time than you want. They're going to get less work than you want them to get if you only have two guys. It's just, it's it's not a great recipe for success. But, but, look, you're not going to put Tarasov on waivers. Because I'm telling you what's going to happen there. The guy is, what, 6'3", 6'4". He's very athletic. When he's healthy, he could be very good. Like, if I'm a general manager and that guy was on waivers, that'd be like Christmas Day for me. I'd be like, I'm taking this guy. Like, do you think the Edmonton Oilers, if they had a chance, wouldn't take a guy like that, hoping that they are the team that couldn't, uh, that they are the team that could rather keep him healthy and try to turn around their season? I think so. So, you know, and it's a, uh, it's a slippery slope. It's tough. But until Tarasov is actually injury-free, it's not even in the discussion. But what happens when he is back to health? Oh, I don't know. 
I don't know. Cooper Mapes says, do you think our coaching staff has ever studied tape of what made Gaudreau and Line stars on their old teams? I just wonder if their diminished productions are stemming from less talented line mates or because they don't thrive in certain play style systems. To me, look, let me give you this example. Johnny Gaudreau, when did he have the best season points-wise of his career? Playing with Elias Lindholm and Matthew Kachuk. That's a difference. That's a huge difference. All three of those guys had over 100 points. So, in that case, that's what I, you know, that's what I think it is. He's still trying to find a fit here. He and Boone Jenner have worked something out. It's that other side where I think you're still kind of looking. It was line A. Uh, is it going to be line A, or do you have now two playmakers and nobody wants to shoot? Uh, Marchenko, that has worked at points, although I kind of like the marchenko Boronkov combination that's going on right now. So, um, yeah, finding I think finding a match. And now you've got line A playing center, right? So if he comes back and he plays center again, who are you putting him with? That's a, that's a totally different thing because if you look back to when he had his 40-goal seasons in Winnipeg, he wasn't playing center. He was playing on the wing. So, uh, but, but line mates, let's be honest about it, right? Line mates in the way that you match up with them and the way your skill sets complement each other makes a huge difference. And they're just not finding the right combinations at this point. Travis Weaver says, trying to keep some positivity, so what players have you been really impressed with this year? I just mentioned Voronkov a minute ago. He's been here for a short time, but I think he's made a big impact. And it's not just a couple of goals that he's gotten, and those have been big, and it's because of how he scored them, just by going to the net. I mean, if you're looking for a, a, a snipe bar down, you're not finding that with him right now. But oh, And I'm not saying he doesn't have that potential, but... What you're finding right now is a big guy just driving the net and having the puck hit him or glance off his stick and go in there. But last night, Adam Fantilli lays that hit on Carter Verhage. And it was a good hit by Fantilli. It was a legal hit, and that's why Verhage didn't do anything about it. But Kevin Stenland, former Blue Jacket, is on the ice. I love Kevin. Such a good guy. Big guy. Not necessarily tough guy. I mean, he's not a fighter. That's what I'm saying. He's big, but he's not a fighter. But to his credit, his line mate gets drilled. He feels he has to step in and at least try to uh, explain the situation, right? And all of a sudden, here comes Voronkov and grabs a hold of him. And that is, I mean, it's not even a fight, quite frankly. Um, Dmitry Voronkov would have dominated him. And I think Kevin Stanland got that message the minute that he grabbed a hold of him, right? So um, I, I just like that. I like that element. And I like him playing with Fantilli for that reason. I mean, that was a great example of it. Yes, Fantilli throws the initial hit. Yes, it's a good hit. But he's a rookie. Somebody's going to have something to say to him about that. And now you've got this guy as the policeman, and he comes over and makes sure that uh, cooler heads prevail. Oh, and in the meantime, he did it while making sure Stenland got an extra penalty and the Blue Jackets got a power play out of it. Anyway, so I, I like him. I've really liked him in the short time that he's been here. Spencer Martin, I think that's a no-brainer. Uh, picking up a goaltender off waivers, and he's, he's put in some really good performances. And, uh, you know, last night he bailed them out. He gave them a chance to get back into that game and win that game. No doubt about that. So those are a couple of guys that I've been really impressed with 
so far this season. Hey, if you're with me live on X Spaces, and if you want to ask a question, all you have to do is request to be a speaker, and I can uh, bring you on. Lauren says, shouldn't the offense treat scoring goals like the defense block shots and the goalies make saves? It doesn't have to be pretty. It just has to get done. I don't see how we're going to attract goaltenders with our long history of leaving them out to dry no matter how well they play. Well, Lauren, I don't know that you're attracting goaltenders anyway here. Um, you know, in, in most cases, when it comes to goaltending, it's pretty much draft and develop. Not all, not in all cases. Uh, I mean, the Panthers paid Bob, uh, Sergei Bobrovsky, $10 million a year to go there. So, so they found one that they paid big money for. And that's the problem. You have to pay big money for those guys. And how much money do you want to have tied up in your goaltending? It is much easier to draft and develop as long as you make the right pick and you develop them the right way. That's where most of the goalies are going to come from. That way you keep your costs down. You know, maybe you have two goalies on your roster for a total of uh, six and a half to $8 million. That's way better than paying one guy $10 million, right? And if you're playing the right system and, and you score goals and, you know, he can give up three and you're going to score four, then, then that's great. So to me, it's not about attracting goaltenders, but it is about scoring goals and it is about taking the right shots, not just taking shots. Um, you know, and then, then again, sometimes just throw it from wherever you can and, and look to create some opportunities, or if you're struggling, throw it on net and see if you happen to find a hole or maybe get a rebound or something like that. But, um, the Blue Jackets, they have been, even when games that they're losing, uh, they were going on a pl pretty good run there about shooting their opponents, but yet we're losing. So they need to, I guess, be smarter about it, take take better shots or shots that have a better chance of going in, I guess. And um, so that part of it I agree with. But as far as attracting the goalies, I mean, that's, that's uh, secondary to all that. But they do... They do, need, they do need to do a better job of shot selection, for sure. Ryan Lohr agrees with me. It says, Voronkov has been so impressive. He knows how to use his size, and he stepped in when Fantilli was being pushed around. How important is he for this team moving forward? I think he's going to be uh, very important for this team because, because he has so many things that he can do. And hey, this guy was a fourth-round pick, right? So you're not talking about... Uh, a guy that was taken, you know, in the first round or even the second round. But he played in the KHL. He's gotten able to uh, develop his game. I think uh, as he gets used to the North American style of game, I think as he gets used to the uh, size of the ice surface, I think he's going to get better and better. You know, Pascal Vincent told me that he feels that uh, Dimitri has, with the kind of hands that he has, and the skill that he has, he could become one of the best net front players in the league. And he said that after he played one or two games. And I thought, wow, what a compliment that is. But you can start to see it, just the way that he plays. Go to the front of the net. Go to the front of the net. He does have good hands. And I think he's going to get a lot of goals. You know, as uh, Lauren was saying, all goals count. They don't have to be pretty. The two he has have not been pretty. And it wouldn't shock me if he scored 20 in a year and 18 of them were ugly. It really wouldn't. And I wouldn't care. And by the way, neither would he because every goal counts. So um, I think he is going to be a big part of this team, not just because he is a big man. I think, um, you know, he can play on the power play. Uh, he can play. I, I think uh, you're going to find that he's not just a bottom six guy. 
I think he can play anywhere, you know, second through fourth line. And he's he's got toughness. He's not afraid to show it. He's not afraid to throw the gloves down and go after somebody if he has to do that. So I think, um, you know, I, I like I like what his future could be here as a Columbus Blue Jacket. I really do. And we'll uh, we'll see how it goes as we go along. But uh, it, it has been – it's really been a, a good start for him. Went down to Cleveland for a brief time, and then he comes up here and he gets the opportunity to – to jump in and make an impact right away. So uh, I like what he has been able to do. I like what he has brought to the table so far. I was trying to read this here. I, I thought I had somebody that requested to speak, and then I think I'm I think I'm reading it wrong. I think I need to adjust my glasses here a little bit and look. So anyway. Again, if you want, if you're on X Spaces and you want to, uh, if you want to ask a question, just do that. Request to be a speaker, and I'll bring you on. And hopefully, I'll read it properly, and then I will. Uh, <laughs> I'll do my job right. Gyozin, I don't know if that's how you say that. Gyozin. Anyway, here's the question: says I think the team has some potential this year, and it's promising for next year. But how do you explain the team being so inconsistent? Is it mostly because of the new coach? Uh, because there aren't many injuries, and most players aren't new to the Blue Jackets. And uh, do you think that there will be a trade sooner than later to help clear up the logjam on defense? Because I don't think scratching Boquist or Juracek is doing any good for their play. I'm impressed by Juracek and, or I'm impressed by Juracek, but why is Goodbranson still playing if injured with the defensive depth that we have? I'll start at the beginning because I could get into that defense thing right there because I'm a little bit, it's a head scratcher for me. It's a head-scratcher that you just asked me that question about the defense right there at the end, so I'm going to save it for a minute. I'm going to process it. I'm not going to react to it immediately. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to breathe. Okay, here we go. Um, Why is the team so inconsistent? Is it uh, because of the new coach? That, that can be part of it. It's also, it's a young team. And I know, I've told you a million times, I'm tired of saying that. I'm tired of saying this is one of the youngest teams in the league. I wish it wasn't the case, but it is the case. And it is still a young team. And when you look at it, and you've got Adam Fantilli playing in the NHL for the first time, Dmitry Voronkov playing in the NHL for the first time, Marchenko's still just a, a second-year player, Yurchek is a first-year player. I mean, you go down the line, there are things that you have to learn. There are things that you you uh, have to go through in order to learn them. Like last night, how do you put that game away? Well, not like you did it last night. So it's got to be different. What are we going to face next time something like that happens? How are we going to react the next time that something like that happens? You know, as a coach, that's what you're, you're planning for and you're drawing out and you're asking those questions of your team and you're making them aware of what things they did that they could have done differently. So... So part of it is undeniably the there's still some inexperience here, and that affects the consistency. Now, I, I don't want to be saying that 25, 30, 50 games in. I, I don't. So it's early in the year. You're asking me the question. The youth has something to do with it. The new coach and playing a new system has something to do with it. There's no doubt about that. 
Because as Pascal says, it's got to become, you got to have muscle memory, right? So, hey, we're going to change things up this year. We're going to do things a little bit differently. Okay, how are we going to do them? All right, this is what we're going to do. All right, I'll go out there and do it. And today I do it really well. And tomorrow, doggone, I forgot this part of it. And now it wasn't so good. Uh, the next day, uh, we're, we're good again. Oh, now I forgot this part. Now it's not so good. It has to, it has to become just automatic and what you're going to do and the way you're, you're reading the situation and what's happening and all that stuff. So I feel it'll come. I hope you're not asking me the same question 30 games in because then it's a, then it's a concern. I mean, right now it's early. It's, it's not extremely early. I mean, it can get late early, if you know what I'm saying. So they do have to be more consistent. Now, the defense question. Here's why I wanted to take a minute here, because I, I don't want to jump on you and say something like, "What are, are you serious about this Goodbranson question? Here's the thing. Eric Goodbranson, this guy is a lightning rod of criticism on social media. I see it all the time. I see the discussions, and sometimes I get it, and sometimes I don't. Listen, Eric Branson is a veteran defenseman. He brings some qualities the Blue Jackets really felt they needed last year when they signed him. He brings an element of toughness. He brings leadership. They felt that it was worth not only paying, but to an extent overpaying for those qualities. All right? So... Maybe he got a longer contract than you think he should have. Maybe he got more money than you think he should have. But the fact of the matter is, this week is probably not the time to ask me about this question because he has had a really good week. He had the goal against the Tampa Bay Lightning that broke the tie and turned out to be the game winner. He had two assists last night. He's doing a really good job of getting the puck to the net. And he's being a really good leader. I've liked the things that Pascal Vincent has said about him when he's talked about, um, he says, Eric knows exactly who he is now. He's matured as a player. He's matured as a person. He knows exactly who he is and what he has to do. It's not a coincidence they put a letter on his jersey, okay? They didn't check the... They didn't check everybody's ID and see what your age is. And if you're one of the oldest guys, you happen to get a letter. You've got to earn it. And they felt that he has earned it. And, yeah, he's he's playing while injured. He's not even playing at 100%, and he's had a really good week. Right? For David Yerchek to get scratched last night, this is not a big deal. This kid is just putting his dipping his toe in the water here. Right? He's got many, many, many NHL games to play. And if he takes a night off here and there, that's fine. That's fine. If you don't have Eric Branson in that game last night and he doesn't have the two assists on the first two goals, do you have the first two goals of the game? Are you sure? Do you know? No, we don't know. But I know that he did have those assists. I know he is getting the puck to the net. I know he's playing well right now. So, again, I, I'm, I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to rip you, but it's the Branson thing. It just, uh, it, I don't know. It confuses me at times. Sometimes there's a cost to doing business and there was a cost to it. I don't think Eric Branson is losing games for you, quite frankly. So, so that's, that's where I stand on it. He's had a really good week. 
and he's not even playing at 100%. And so that's, uh, that's what I have to say about that. Uh, Nike says, do you have any update on Patrick Line? I do not. I saw Patrick one day last week. I asked him how he's doing. He said he's feeling better, but what is better? Pascal Vincent said he's week to week. So is better uh, back to practice this week? Is better back to practice next week? That I am not sure of at this point in time. Marcus says, how do you feel after 12 games? Does this team meet your expectations or are they over or under expectations? And do you the, do you feel the team is clicking? I feel they're clicking at times. Not all the time. Um, again, I still think they're feeling things out. I still think they're looking for combinations that are going to work. I think this whole, and this was brought up in an earlier question, about having everybody healthy, you can say that it's a, it's a luxury, and it is. I mean, you don't want guys to be hurt. But that being said, um, you know, you're changing something almost every day, right? You're, well, the defense has pretty much been set. But you look at the forwards. Uh, Bemstrom was out last night. Uh, Olivier was out before that. Um, you're, you're, you're constantly changing. And all you have to do is take one of those guys out, and now all of a sudden you've changed the the chemistry of a line. I. When I say that, I guess I have to also stop and say, well, if you had good chemistry on that line, maybe a guy wouldn't be scratched. And maybe that's fair too. But um, I think they're, like to me, I think they're about where I expected at this point. I would like to see them uh, go over my expectations. Uh, but I, I figured that it would be, uh, there would be adjustments early on here. Not having Patrick Line in the lineup, you know, first of all, you go into training camp not knowing if he's going to play wing or center, and now all of a sudden you don't even have him to make that choice. So you'd like to get him back, but then uh, then I ask you this. So he comes back. Who comes out of the lineup when he comes back? Interesting question, isn't it? Really interesting question. All right, let's go to X spaces right now. And now that I can read and I can do things correctly, I'll bring Lester on today's show. Lester, welcome to this Tuesday edition of the Monday Mailbag. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I, I've quit reading the social media comments of people who don't know how to ice skate, let alone have never, ever played hockey. I just let it go. It's it's gotten to the point where some of the things I read are ridiculous. Ivan Provorov leads our team in scoring. He's second in block shots. He's been on the ice for all six of our power play goals and assisted on five of them. I feel he's had a pretty good year to this point. I can excuse what happened last night. As far as last night is concerned, though, um, yeah, if you go back to last year, when games started out like that, they turned into blowout losses. There were the two horrible games in New Jersey, the one up in Montreal late in the season, uh, the blowout loss to Buffalo at home before Christmas, and then at the end of the season, the weekend losses where they got hammered by the Rangers and the Florida Panthers. And those games were just real out of control. Last night, they found a way to stop the bleeding. It was a different kind of team, a different kind of attitude. They regrouped. I thought the really important goal was the second one by Jenner because when he scored that, it basically nullified that incredible start that the Panthers had. It was just a one-goal game, and it was anybody's game again. And the team came out and played uh, played like it from that point on. I mean, you 
just sit and point fingers. You know, uh, Jenner got kicked out of the face-off circle to start the overtime. They didn't win either one of the draws. Uh, they only possessed the puck for five seconds in overtime. Texier had a bad pass at Jenner's feet, and they turned it right over. But it, it doesn't matter. There were too many things that happened during the course of the 62 or 63 minutes that that game lasted. You can't just point to any one thing. The fact is when they finally get to the point where they play a game for 60 minutes and they die, dominate the whole game, then we won't run into things like that. And that's what this team is working towards. And 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 I'm really good with that. Well, I think you said it all right there. I don't disagree with you. And the yeah, the, the Provorov thing sticks out, but you know, at that point, you gotta understand too, and I saw again, I shouldn't read I shouldn't look at the social media, but you know, I see people are saying, Wow, look, there's a lane, clear it off the glass and get it out. Why are you trying to lift it up the middle? Well, first of all, I think if he does look to go to the boards there, there is a Florida Panther standing there, and, and maybe that's why he changed his mind on it. Also, Johnny Gaudreau was on the ice there, and I talked to somebody earlier today. They said, hey, do you think that maybe he knows Johnny is struggling and he just wanted, if he can get that thing out of there and land it to where Johnny can get it, he can pick up another empty net goal and, and start to feel better about himself. Can And sometimes, I'm not saying that's what he was thinking. I'm not speaking for Provorov, but... There are times, we, we always talk about this, sometimes you feel like you have to get the puck to a certain guy. Like, you know, sometimes line combinations don't work because the guy you want to shoot it feels like, well, I shouldn't be shooting it. I should give it to him to shoot it. And then it kind of screws everything up there. So I, I don't know what it is, but I agree with you, Lester. I mean, it was, yeah, it's a mistake. And yeah, it's a, a very glaring mistake at, uh, at the wrong time. But... It, it's not, uh, I mean, the guy shouldn't be hung out to dry because of it, because you're right. He is, I think he has come pretty much, uh, I don't want to say as advertised because I know the Philly people were all over him by the time he left, but I think this is the player the Blue Jackets had hoped they were getting. How's that? Well, yeah, and when you and I talked about it last season. I, I specifically picked him out because I liked his contract. I like the fact he was a shot blocker. I like the fact he never missed any games. I like the fact that he was a Russian who spoke incredibly fluent English, and I thought he would be a strong influence or a bridge for all the young Russian players that we had coming up. So I, I thought he was the perfect guy to bring in if you weren't going to have Gavrikov anymore, and that was how it played out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's just, you know, it, it stinks. Like I said earlier, I Walked away from that one last night really wishing that they had found a way to lock that down. I think that would have been a, a huge confidence boost if they could have closed that game out 4-3, to 5-3. to three. But it didn't work that way. So back to the drawing board, right? Yeah. Now, the other thing that you probably would have been talking about a lot in this show but hasn't come up yet, and that was Kent Johnson's demotion. Uh, I'm actually pretty good with it. And, and I'm going to tell you what, I think if Pascal Vincent had been the coach the last two years instead of Brad Larson, guys like Cole Sillinger and Kent Johnson probably would not have started the season in Columbus. I mean, he doesn't just make you earn it. He makes you earn it, earn it. David Yurchek and uh, Voronkov didn't even start the season on our roster this year. He sent him to Cleveland first. And I don't even know if we'd have seen Yurichek uh, yet if Wierenski hadn't gotten hurt. I mean, he he really does, for one of just, I, I'm not sure what I want to say. He just, you really, really, really have to impress this guy, this Pascal Vincent, in order to get your playing time. I mean, you really have to have your A game all the time, I think. Does that surprise you? Because I'll, I'll be honest with you. A first-year NHL head coach to do some of the things that he has done has has surprised me, not in a bad way, because I, I agree with him. The whole accountability thing, it's like, to me, in some ways, 
it's John Tortorella light. And when I say light, it's probably because it's not as boisterous. It's much more quiet in his demeanor. But I think that the underlying expectation for the end result is exactly the same. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to call him abrasive, but Tortorella could come off that way if you didn't understand him. I'll call him that um, then. He's very abrasive. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go for it. I'd tell uh, him that too. I, you know that. Well, I, I found the things he said to the media at times very amusing. When he'd sit there and go, well, that's a stupid question. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to answer it. You already know the answer to that. I mean, I just, you know, I in a way, I think he was being funny too. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's just he's got the kids out there just being accountable. I mean, they're learning how to be NHL players. And, no, I'm not horribly surprised by it all. I think it's the right way to do business. I just think it's going to be real interesting when line A is healthy and you want to bring Kent Johnson back up and you got this huge roster glut. We've already talked about the possibility of three goalies. They're going to have to figure out what they want to do because at this point in time, you won't be able to trade bodies for bodies. That doesn't solve the problem. You're obviously going to be looking for draft picks and you're going to get the best and highest draft picks you can get. And you usually get those at the trade deadline when teams are, are more desperate. I hope this doesn't have to play out over three months where there's a lot of guys that get robbed of playing time that they should have because we're just kind of waiting to get the best deal. Uh, hopefully we can stay injury-free in the meantime as well. Yeah, and I think that there's still on this team, I think there are a lot of players that are very similar, the way they play, the style they play. And I think with Kent Johnson, he should be standing out from that. He is a, a very skilled and creative player, and it just wasn't happening here. And I, I agree with you. Him going to the American Hockey League, this is not the end of the world. This is where he should be. I, it Very seldom do guys skip over the American Hockey League and, and just stay in the league. Cole Sillinger is a great example. Uh, the first year, 16 goals, okay. You don't see him going back. And then he has the year he had last year. Where did he wind up in the American Hockey League? It's well, it, There's nothing wrong with it at all. Yeah. Well, I, I thought that that was – I thought there were three or four reasons why Brad Larson got fired. And I think if it hadn't been for one particular one, he might have gotten a mulligan. But I think the regression of Cole Sillinger from year one to year two was the straw that broke the camel's back because I thought it convinced the suits upstairs that he probably – what it took to develop young players and they were going to have to pick a, a different direction and I thought that was the main thing that got him terminated well I, I don't I don't know if that's what it was but it's uh it's ironic if so because he had coached in the American Hockey League and he had developed players before but uh, then again it's kind of a different beast when you're down there too and it's hard to develop players in the National Hockey League it is I, it, that's that the reason the American Hockey League is there is to develop players and now everybody's trying to do it in the NHL, and it's it's not the easiest thing in the world. So, Lester, thank you. Always great to talk to you. Same here. See you now. All right. If you're on uh, X Spaces and you want to talk to me, you can do that. Just request to be a speaker, and I will bring you on the show. You can ask me your question. And I can tell you right now that Troy has done just that. So, Troy, welcome to today's special Tuesday edition of the Monday Mailbag. How are you? Oh, where are you, Troy? I see you're unmuted, but I can't hear you. I can't hear you. So we've got to fix something there and figure out why that is. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to, uh, what am I going to do? I'm going to re-add you here and we're going to try it again. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Troy, try me again here and see if this works. 
Okay, I think it's working now. Yeah, yeah you here. got it now. Bingo. Awesome. All right. So, I wanted to uh, p- uh, tag onto a comment that you said earlier about what is going to happen in the lineup exactly when Patrick Line comes out. Okay. And earlier in the season, I vaguely remember Pascal Vincent saying something along the lines of, it's not as much left-wing, right-wing center. It's more play driver, net front presence, shooter. And I feel like in the top six, the roles are a little bit more concrete in terms of play driver, net front presence, shooter, like the top line we know, Johnny Gaudreau's driving the play. Boone Jenner's in front of the net. Second line we know, Marchenko's shooting. Fantilli's carrying the puck on a stick. Voronkov is in front of the net. Obviously, we've seen Line A experimented with Fantilli, and last year we saw him moved off the line with Jenner and Goudreau. Do you think it's possible that he goes back to the top line? And also, can you identify the play styles for the forwards in the bottom six where I feel like it's less clear? So when you say about him going back to the top line, I assume you're talking about him being a winger on that top line. Precisely. Yeah. Um, I could see them... Look, here's here's the thing. This is why I'm hesitating on this. Here's the thing about Patrick playing at center. I think that the reason, uh, one of the reasons that they're really giving him the opportunity is because he's excited about it. It's something he wants to do. Uh, he's had a little bit of success at it here early on. Um, however, is that the best long-term solution? I don't know. And if he didn't get hurt... You know, maybe he'd really be excelling at center at this point, or maybe they would have seen enough and and they would have him back on the wing. I don't think it's the end of the world if they bring him back and put him on that line as uh, as a winger again to at least let him get uh, back into the lineup and and all of that stuff. So, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me, and that, and that still might be the best place for him. You know, Roslovic has played well, um, he but. Jack can move to other spots in the lineup too. So, all right, you've talked about you've talked about that line. You talked about Fantilli, Voronkov, and uh, Marchenko. So, what does that leave us? That leaves us uh, Cole Sillinger along with uh, Igor Chinikov, and who the heck else was playing there last night? Uh, uh, I think it was Texier. Yeah, Texier. That's right. Okay, so that one's a little bit more complex, right? Because Chinikov's a shooter, hands down yes. a shooter. He's got a great shot. So he's got to be shooting the puck. Texier is more of a shooter. And then you have Cole, who I think, I thought he had a pretty good game last night, quite frankly. And I think for Cole, if you want to have good success, be Boone Jenner, especially on that line when you have two guys that are going to shoot. Because just go to the front and pick up the garbage and put it back in, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that's where he can find success on that. And and the uh, the easiest line for me is... The one, the fourth line last night, the Corrali, Olivier, and Danforth, because they just go straight ahead, and they don't. <laughs> they're kind of different. Where I, I think any one of them can go to the front of the net at any point in time. In fact, I, I think they're probably more accustomed to being below the faceoff dots. They're not taking a lot of shots from the outside. They're three guys that just get down there and get in your face, and it, that's really what started to get things turned around last night was them playing like that. So, yeah, I think those guys are a little bit different where you don't have a uh, – they can all shoot it, and maybe they will shoot it from the outside, but they'll shoot it, and then they'll crash the net. And uh, they just like to get those – as they call them, they like to get the greasy goals, those guys. So um, that's the way I see them. But So now you're talking about line A, 
just to go back to your point, okay, if Patrick comes back and you put him on that top line, what happens to Jack Roslevic? Um, you know, Chinikov and Texier, are you going to be willing to take one of those guys out? Um, would you take Sillinger out and move Jack back to the middle? I mean, these are, we always say they're good problems to have, but when you're trying to build chemistry and you're trying to find something that works, it also affects that and, uh, and what is going on and how you find the best combination. So it's a blessing and a curse for sure, Troy. Do you know off the top of your head if uh, Cole Sillinger's waiver exempt by any chance? He is. He could go back to the American Hockey League. Yes. Yes, he can. Okay. So I guess I'm not saying it is the foregone best conclusion to send him down and potentially move Jack to be the third line center, but that would for sure cause the least amount of headaches up at the uh, front office in terms <laughs> of uh, <laughs> movements if they send him down. Well, I agree with you. And look, this is this is what I think just personally – you get to a point where you have to decide with all the guys that you have, are you, are you going to develop in this league? Or you make a good point. Look, Kent Johnson is down in the American Hockey League. If you said Cole Sillinger back down there, you're going to put him on the line with Kent Johnson. You're going to start developing them there so that you can bring them up at the same time. Or I mean, who is part of the future here? And I'm not talking about, are you going to try to get to the playoffs this year with the Cole Sillingers and the Kent Johnsons, or are you trying to get to the playoffs with the Emil Bemstroms and Jack Rosovics? Does that make sense to you? You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I, totally I think, I think that's and what, know, and especially with the state of their contract, yeah, I, which uh, it doesn't make sense to either a, obviously this isn't an option, but a, with their contracts, it didn't make sense to buy them out. B, it doesn't make sense to trade them off and giving another team a sweetener it only makes sense to just let their contracts expire. And if they want to bring, say, for instance, if they wanted to bring Jack back, cut the price in half, you know? Yeah. Because I think at the end of the day, it's not really that it, it's Jack's performance is that much. Yeah, sometimes he's pretty inconsistent. But at the end of the day, he's really a solid hockey player. It's just the salary. You know what I mean? Yes. And, no, I, uh, I do. They I... just have to wait out this contract and reassess because I know he's from the area and – it seems like he really wants to be here, and I think it's better for the organization in general to have guys that want to be there because we've seen with some other teams throughout the course of the season that some players don't want to be there and they're really struggling. So right. if he wanted to take the hometown discount, I'd love to have him back. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I agree with you. I agree with you on all points. It's just that, you know, it's like like you're saying, like you almost <laughs> – last year they didn't have enough players to play games. This year, it's it's a bag of riches when it comes to that. You have too many players, and and you'd like to make some moves, and like you said, you can't. But again, what I, I think you're at some point, I'm just interested to see what the approach is going to be with the younger players. If they're waiver exempt, are you going to send them down? Are you going to have them develop there? And oh, by the way, Cleveland has a lot of players too, so you have to displace somebody there and find a place for them to go. So it's a uh, it's a puzzle, and when I say a puzzle, I don't mean confusing. I mean it's putting the pieces together and making it all work. So I don't envy anybody who has to make those decisions and do that stuff. Totally. Thank you for hosting this great show, and thank you for having me on as Thank well. you, Troy. I appreciate you being on today. Always a pleasure. All right, let's go back to X and uh, see what else you have for me here. John Milsip says, There was a huge physical response in the game against Florida last night. Is that type of physicality necessary for the Blue Jackets to succeed this season? Yeah. Yes, it is. If they're going to play the style of game that Pascal Vincent wants them to play, physicality is going to have to be a part of it. No doubt. 
So that has to be added in. It, they got to be smart about it. They were last night. Uh, as soon as they started to push back, Florida backed off. In the early part of the period, the first seven minutes, there was no pushback. Florida ran them over. As soon as there was pushback, Panthers backed off a little bit. As soon as the, Panther, as soon as the Panthers backed off, then the Blue Jackets were back in the game. Hungary, that's a unique Twitter handle says, when is it a reasonable time to start seriously worrying about Johnny Gaudreau's play? He's on a 36-point pace right now. Also, I think Borensky could be added to that from a production standpoint. Yeah, we talked about that way back near the beginning of the show, and uh, there's a concern. There's no doubt there's a concern. So when is the time? The time is now. You and I will worry about it, and those guys will try to fix it. Uh... Jack Bowers, is any update on line A? I answered that, no. Uh, Zach says, what do you think about the scratches in general? I get the mental aspect of it, but could it be part of the inconsistency, not letting guys gel? Yeah, it, it is, but then you don't want to keep a guy out of the lineup for so long that he struggles to be productive when he's back in there, too. I think Andrew Peake is a great example of that. You know, there's no way he was happy having to wait all that time to play a game. No way. But he kept his mouth shut. He did his work, got into the game last night. I thought he did well. Came up with an assist on the Texier goal. You know, so it's, uh, in some ways, I think it's necessary because you, you still want to try to keep everybody involved. But to your point, when you're trying to find chemistry and you're trying to find combinations that work and and you're changing just one guy here and one guy there, it's, um, you know, it'd be one thing if I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not using this guy as an example because I think he should be out all the time or anything like that. But let's just say, as Troy said, when he was talking about his scenario, uh, the easiest moves to make. I, I think it would be easy in some regards to take a Matthew Olivier and say, hey, uh, okay, we got this team tonight. They're kind of tough, so we're going to have you in. Ah, this team, they don't have any toughness, so we're going we're gonna to put Bemstrom in in this case. That, that's an easy thing to do, but then it's also changing the complexion of, of your lines as well. So, um, again, it's a double-edged sword. I don't even know how to answer it because does it damage the inconsistency? Yes, but does it still need to be done? Yes, I think it does when you have this many players and uh, they're all healthy and – and uh, you got to keep everybody involved. You just don't want to lose anybody. You don't want to lose anybody mentally. And that is the hardest thing about it. I mean, where's Adam Boquist at right now? How are they going to figure out a way to get him back into the lineup? They're going to have to do it. They're going to have to do it to get him a game here or there and, and you know, and find a way to find a way to make it work. You don't, you need to have everybody engaged and you can be unhappy about not playing, that's that's fine. You can you can be, you should be unhappy, but you still got to be engaged. And the way to do that is by giving them an opportunity to play uh, wherever you can. And I'm sure they're looking for those spots. There's no doubt about it. They're they're looking. They're I guarantee today, the coaches are looking at the lineup and they're deciding about uh, Thursday, saying, okay, we're playing Dallas. What kind of game do we have to play against Dallas? How what players? What uh, 12 forwards give us the best opportunity to play that game we need to against the Dallas Stars? They're doing it today, and that, those are the guys that they'll have in there tomorrow for practice. And, you know, it's uh, 
It's, it's not an easy job. It, it's easy to sit here on the sidelines and say, I would do this. I would do that. I would scratch this guy. I would not scratch this guy. It's, I mean, it's all, uh, easy as can be. I tell people all the time. I tell the players, I say, look, where I sit for the games, I could score 50 goals a year. I could stop every shot that is taken. I could be a Vesna winner from where I sit because it's really easy. It's not easy when you're in the heat of the battle. And I get that. I, I understand that. Um, and then sometimes there are things that you think would be easy and, and they seem to be hard. So it's, but anyway, it all comes down to there's a learning curve for this team. And, uh, hopefully they are learning lessons. Last night was a tough lesson to have to try to learn the way that, uh, you know, it, it fell apart on them after they gave so much to get back into the game and so much to get the lead in the game. And, uh, and it was tough, but you hope from that adversity and you hope from a tough loss, you get something good out of it. And as I said earlier, the next time that it comes around, you remember this and you know how to act a little bit differently, or maybe you make a different player. Maybe you, um, you just do something differently than you did last time and you figure out how to make it work. And that's where the Blue Jackets are right now as they get set for a home game against the Dallas Stars on Thursday night. Don't forget that game on Thursday night is a 7.30 game. 7.30. And it is on ESPN Plus if you want to watch it on TV. Um, if you want to listen to it on the radio network, of course, you can find me on 97.1 The Fan. And the Blue Jackets Radio Network. Also, what else do I have for you? Oh, tomorrow night, Inside Edge, Jody Shelley and I will sit down and talk with Blue Jackets assistant coach Mark Recchi. We haven't done that yet since he joined the Blue Jackets, and we wanted to give him some time to get acclimated and figure out uh, who the players are that he's working with and get adjusted to the city of Columbus and all that jazz. And now that we are at that point, we're going to talk to him tomorrow on the Inside Edge. That show airs at 7 o'clock on the flagship station of the Blue Jackets Radio Network, 97.1 The Fan. And then uh, when it's over, you can always catch it where you find all your favorite Blue Jackets podcasts. Maybe you're listening to this right now as a podcast. All you have to do is subscribe to CBJ Radio wherever you listen to your podcasts, and you will be able to get all of the content that we provide for you. This show, The Inside Edge, uh, Dylan Tyre's Pipeline prog- uh, Podcast. <laughs> Time to end the show. I can't talk. Pipeline podcast. I almost did it again, where uh, he talks with the the prospects and the up-and-comers in the Blue Jackets organization. So that gives you a little bit of direction of what is going on this week. I'm glad we were able to sit down and talk and get together. As I said, uh, two weeks was just going to be too much, and there's too much going on. So we needed to have this conversation. And uh, I love taking this back to, you know, in the days when I was growing up, there was only Monday night football. Now they've got the the football, they've got Thursday and Sunday, but there was only Monday night. And then later in the season, they, they would throw a Thursday game in there, and it was always the Thursday night edition of Monday night football. So that's why I like to do the uh, Tuesday edition of the Monday mailbag. But uh, we'll get this thing back on track on Mondays as the schedule allows. Thank you for being with me today. Thanks to all of you that asked your questions, whether you sent them in on X or whether you were actually on X Spaces and talking to me. Love your questions, love your insight, and love to have you aboard. That's going to do it for this Tuesday edition of the Monday Mailbag. 
Remember, tomorrow night, it's the Inside Edge. Mark Recchi will be our guest. And then on Thursday, 7.30 start at Nationwide Arena when the Blue Jackets take on the Dallas Stars and try to pick up a couple of points on home ice. Until then, I'm Bob McElligot saying so long.